Hey Damon, guess what I finally ordered today? I don't know, Christian, what? Well, after our talk last week, I finally got myself a Smile Brilliant custom fitted night guard. Oh man, you won't regret it. And as a chronic teeth grinder myself, it's one of the best gifts my wife has ever gotten me. And when it comes to teeth grinding, come to find out I'm not alone. In fact, there's roughly 40 million other Americans who grind their teeth as well. Whether it's from stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to things like worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. Exactly, Damon. And the number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is a custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging $200 to $300 per guard, and you can grind through several per year. But that's where Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process comes in. You can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. My wife also got me the Smile Brilliant custom custom fitted teeth whitening trays and their Kari Pro electric toothbrush. And Christian, they work wonders. Well, our listeners should head over to smilebrilliant.com and use our promo code NERD at checkout for 30% off. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use our code NERD at checkout. That's right, nerds. Don't be an idiot. Smile brilliant. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now identifying nearby time variant. Preparing reset. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's episode, we're reviewing The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And we're breaking down the first episode of Loki and the latest episode of The Bad Batch. Plus, we've got a special announcement for next week as we're running press this weekend at the gaming mecca known as E3. You can catch live streams starting Saturday through next week on our Twitch channel of us covering the latest coming from E3 and all the big press conferences. Then next week during the podcast in our Christian's Corner segment, we will break down all the biggest stories from E3 this year. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, all right, to start off news this week, we've got some bad news and we got some good news coming out of Star Wars. So, yes, Collider has a source who is making a claim that The Mandalorian Season 3 will be delayed until late 2022. Um, Originally, Season 3 was supposed to premiere this December alongside The Book of Boba. Um, So, I mean, this is definitely disappointing news. Uh, One of the reasons is that The Mandalorian soundstage is currently being used uh, to film the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And with it being June, that wouldn't really give the Mandalorian a lot of time to, you know, get the series in the can. Now, Collider is also reporting that a lot of people inside the Star Wars camp are actually referring to the Book of Boba Fett as the Mandalorian season like 2.5. So, um, and that just sounds like because there's going to be a lot of crossover happening with the Mandalorian's characters and their different stories. 
But I mean, still disappointing as a fan. Nonetheless, I was really looking forward to like a jam packed Star Wars filled month in December. So um, on that note, we do actually have some good news. And that's coming from the Andor series. It sounds like two Rogue One alumni will be reprising their roles uh, in the upcoming show. Uh, That would be Ben Mendelsohn, who will be, of course, playing director Koenig and Forrest Whitaker, who will be playing Saw Gerrera. I mean, in my opinion, Rogue One is one of the best things Disney has done with the Star Wars franchise since they, you know, purchased it. Uh, I would love to get to know more about these two characters, and it seems like we're going to get our chance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Saw Gerrera got like two minutes of actual live action screen time, so I think it's great that um, they're going to be using him some more. I thought Melson was really great in Rogue One as well, so I'm, I'm happy to see all these characters continue on with these shows. Um, you know, it's, it is funny that um, you know, the reason that Mando's getting pushed back is just because we have too many Star Wars series needing to be worked on at once. It's just lining them up all like this is just, you know, it's it's too much for them to, to film right now. <laughs> well, I mean, you're fucking Disney. Build, build some more fucking sound stages, right? <laughs> you mean I'm going to have to wait almost? Come on. You're fucking, you're, your pockets are deep enough. Give me a break. I'm sure we'll be fine on content. I, I will be missing the series, though, this year. Christian, once again, do you know how much money I spend on Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> and they're telling me I have to wait a whole fucking year? <laughs> You're not I wrong. Know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm being pissy, but Jesus Christ. I want my Mando. All right, well, up next, we have some big casting news for the Black Panther sequel. So according to the Illuminati, uh, actor Tenoch Herta will be taking on the role of Namor for the MCU and will most likely be the villain in the upcoming Black Panther sequel. In the comic books, Wakanda and Atlantis have both been at war before, um, as recent as Jonathan Hickman's run on New Avengers. So it, it feels like that's where we're probably headed. I'm guessing. Tenoch is known for his work on Narcos Mexico, and also he was in the horror film uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. I've unfortunately haven't seen either, um, but he's supposed to be a pretty talented actor. We also got some casting news for the She-Hulk series. So yes, uh, the Illuminati is reporting that Jamila Jamil will be playing Titania in the upcoming She-Hulk series. Uh, She's described as a Kardashian-esque social media influencer in her 30s with a dark side. I really don't know much about the character Titania. I know she debuted in the original Secret Wars series back in the 80s. And the only reason I know that is because I have the comic book laying around somewhere. Um, But that's pretty much my working knowledge on Titania. I mean, I know she's super strong. That's about it. (laughs) Well, she better be because she's going up against She-Hulk, right? And you got to have, you know, super strong versus super strong, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I know nothing about this character. (laughs) I mean, Superman's arch nemesis is Lex Luthor, so. Come on, Christian. True. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. You can have brain versus brawn. I I get you. It's styles that make the fight, Christian. It's styles Uh that make Uh the fight. Well, up next, we have some Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel news. So, yes, Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman, will be debuting on the big screen for the first time in animated form uh, in the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, and she will be voiced by Issa Rae. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jessica Drew. I hope that she has a major role in this film, and I hope that it 
leads to, you know, a actual live action version of the character popping up in the MCU at some point. I mean, I've loved everything that they've done with the current, you know, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse like characters that they have so far. So I'm, I'm glad to see that they're you know branching out. Getting Jessica Drew in there should be fun, too. I think they'll probably showcase her off pretty well in this next film. I, I can only imagine. Well, up next, we have some quick DC film notes. So yes, quickly, James Wan revealed that the upcoming Aquaman sequel will be titled The Lost Kingdom. And then we also found out that the upcoming Blue Beetle film will be headed straight to HBO Max. I'm really curious like on how Warner Brothers is making the decision what films are going to HBO Max and what films are going into the theaters because we found out earlier just a couple months ago that Batgirl is going straight to HBO Max instead of the theaters which just feels like feels like a strange choice because I feel like Batgirl would make a lot of money for you know DC and Warner Brothers and I could see like the Jamie Reyes version of Blue Beetle being a breakout character for DC so I don't know I mean I know that like money but apparently they're desperate for subscribers also honestly i just don't think they understand those characters so they don't know how much that they can draw in like i batgirl could make tons and tons of money um, on either the big screen or hbo max for them but it's just i i think that they look at whatever they're throwing on hbo max is like maybe a quicker buck than it is to put it out in the theaters i guess it just feels weird to me you would think that like batgirl mm -hmm. batgirl's got to be like their at least a, a top three like female character for them in dc i would say you know like harley quinn wonder woman batgirl i hear you but do the execs understand that but I they've don't... got comic book people in the room with them like jeff johns yeah, is they... a big part of this <laughs> so it just it just feels weird but i'm wondering if they figure okay well we need something big to attract subscribers and maybe mm -hmm. hbo max means that much to them i mean i think batgirl too is a, a character that a lot of people like identify especially like barbara gordon so i mean i i guess i forgot about supergirl too supergirl you know throw in there you know it's one of their bigger like female characters but i, mm -hmm. I don't know they, they seem to value supergirl because i believe she's popping up in a film you know soon so i i just i mean they must just be really desperate like i said to get subscribers <laughs> to that service so um you know which I mean, hey it's their property they can do what they want i mean we're gonna enjoy it the film regardless oh, know, yeah. hopefully <laughs> knock on wood <laughs> well up next hannibal creator brian fuller to direct a new take on a stephen king classic yes the ultra talented brian fuller will be directing a remake of christine a film originally directed by john carpenter and of course based on the story by stephen king Deadline's reporting that Fuller will be writing a brand new adaptation to the book, and he plans on keeping it in the 80s. All right, looks like we have a Quiet Place spinoff on the way and a release date already. So apparently Paramount Pictures have already begun development on the spinoff film, of course, set in the horror franchise's universe. Uh, but now we have a release date, and that is March 31st, 2023. This is based on an idea by John Krasinski, but he's not directly involved in the film, apparently. Instead, this will be directed by Jeff Nichols, who's known for films uh, Take Shelter and Midnight Special. I feel like similar with what we got with the recent Conjuring films, uh, James, like James Wan, I think Krasinski is going to like probably eventually separate from this franchise a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I can totally see this becoming something bigger than whatever he originally intended. It already sounded like that when he was doing interviews for the second film, let alone like how big, just how much, you know, how much popularity this franchise is already 
already gotten and we're just getting started, you know? Yeah, this totally makes sense because, I mean, you could just tell so many different stories by just following, mm. you know, different groups of, you know, people and families. So, I mean, why not? One other quick horror note, uh, Rob Zombie officially confirmed that his next film will be The Monsters, which has been a project that he's been long rumored to be attached to. So get ready for Sherry Moon Zombie to be Lilith Monster, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I think he'll do a great job with the film. I just I, I don't know, man. She's fine in some roles. I just wish you'd realize like she doesn't actually have to star in every single one of his like films. I don't know. All right, Christian. So the day has finally arrived. We got some more weekly MCU back in our lives after what? Almost like a month and a half stretch of nothing. Yep. <laughs> so the drought is finally over. Um, that's what it felt like. Uh, but we had the first episode of Loki premiering on Disney Plus this past Wednesday. Warning spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's Loki ahead. You have been warned. Please confirm to your knowledge that you are not a fully robotic being. We're born an organic creature and do, in fact, possess what many cultures would call a soul. What? To my knowledge, do a lot of people not know if they're robots? Thank you for your confirmation. Please move through. What if I was a robot and I didn't know it? In our very first episode of Loki, we are thrown right into the events we saw from Marvel's Endgame, as while being walked off to imprisonment after failing to defeat the Avengers in the 2012 film, Loki, with just a touch of luck and the help of Hulk, gets his hands on the Tesseract and escapes, throwing off the original timeline as we know it. 2012 Loki is then seen to have teleported himself to Mongolia, but just as quickly as he arrives, so do the agents from the Time Variance Authority to capture him. These agents quickly explain to Loki that by interacting with the Tesseract and escaping, he has created a new branching timeline. Loki being himself attempts an attack only to get quickly stopped by Hunter B-15, who uses time manipulation against him and places a collar around his neck. Before leaving though, the time cops place a reset charge that somehow destroys this branching timeline and anything that can create further anomalies in time. Yeah, I just love how we really like just jump into things. Um, and I love that the Minutemen, or I believe here they're just calling them agents uh have this like reset timeline grenade i mean it's definitely yeah. <laughs> something i feel like is gonna come into play like later on in the mm -hmm. series or even in this episode right well yeah i mean we'll, we'll get into it later but it definitely seems to be an important part of this storyline Next, we get a scene of Loki going through processing at the TVA, where he quickly finds out that his collar can be used to teleport him back and forth on his own personal timeline, making it impossible to just straight up escape without getting the collar off. We get fun moments as we see how the TVA handle variants such as Loki, even going as far as to plan out disintegrate those who don't follow orders. I don't know, man. I just love how the TVA feels like this weird, like, timeless space DMV. Right? Mm. Like, just. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. Like, it's just a different corner of hell. Like, I can't <laughs> imagine to be, being a prisoner of the TVA and being stuck in that place. So, it I. It doesn't seem like you'd be a prisoner long, no, honestly. Because right? <laughs> they don't fuck around. They just disintegrated that one dude for not having a ticket. Somewhere around this time, I believe, a lot of people are pointing to another character that comes through a portal being led off by an agent. Um, a lot of people are saying that it was Peggy Carter. I don't know. Oh, okay. um, you know, it kind of looks like her. I mean, I'm sure it's just wishful thinking. 
But I mean, it does kind of track because of, you know, what Steve decides to do at the end of Endgame, where he kind of goes off on his own and like, you know, starts his own timeline, really? You know, by going back to yeah. World War Two and, you know, living out the rest of his life with Peggy. So I don't know. I mean, it, it could be maybe. <laughs> I just wonder, would it be an old Peggy that by then? Because like if if Cap, if Cap got to be old, why wouldn't she get to be old? Well, maybe we. Well, that is true, right? Because but maybe mm -hmm. at this point he's dealt with it already. I don't know, man. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's the thing about time travel. We start getting into all these oh, types of questions. It's an instant fucking headache for me. <laughs> During all this, Loki learns just what the TVA is all about and why he is there from a helpful animated short playing on a monitor. In this short, we find out about a multiversal war that happened in the past where varying timelines fought one another and ultimately destroyed everything as they knew it. Then a trio called the Timekeepers emerged and resurrected the flow of time and the multiverse itself into a sacred timeline in which they dictate what happens. I love this cartoon. I thought it was absolutely amazing and explained so much in such little time. I wish I had more of these in school. Like, I feel like I'd be uh -huh. a fucking straight A student. Because <laughs> you remember these videos? Like, it, it was, was this past your yeah, time? I had plenty of School of Rock videos yeah, and stuff right? that they were still showing. So Yeah, we need more of those, man. Just animate shit. We'll, we'd all be so exactly. much smarter right now. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> uh, the fact that there was, like, a war between timelines at one point definitely feels like it's foreshadowing to like maybe a later phase in like the MCU or the climax to like phase four or maybe phase, mm -hmm. you know, five or six. Um, Cause this definitely feels like a like three phase arc. So no, that's exactly. what they did with infinity saga. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but yeah, right away I started thinking about Hickman's run and what he did with like secret wars. And we've heard in the past that the Russo brothers, like that's like the one project that they would come back for. But in my mind, I was always thinking about like the classic, like the original secret wars. But I mean, this makes it feel like they're, you know, we're probably talking about Hickman's run, but it all really tracks with, what we know about, you know, the upcoming Doctor Strange film and even all the rumors, you know, surrounding, you know, Spider-Man, you know, uh, No Way Home. It just kind of makes sense. Um, but we'll see. You know, I loved everything with the timekeepers, how they reorganized like the timeline into the sacred timeline. Yeah. But after this like little cartoon, I was like, oh, man, everything that's happening in phase four is going to all be due to like Loki fucking up the time stream here in this series. So uh -huh. <laughs> um, that's where I foresee this going, at least. But we'll see. But no, you're right. I definitely, as soon as I saw this animation, I was like, okay, Secret Wars is definitely the next, like, Infinity War endgame that they do in the um, Marvel Universe. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if it's, like, Beyonder controlling things, like, you know, in the mm -hmm. 80s, or if it ends up being Doctor Doom. It's gotta be Doom. <laughs> I hope so. I don't want to deal with Beyonder and his perm. Uh-huh. <laughs> We jump from here to a character named Mobius in the 1500s who seems to be investigating a time variant who is taking out fellow time agents, um, specifically those who are intervening with Nexus events. Mobius, while investigating the crime scene, also makes sure to note that the reset charges have gone missing from it as well. While discussing the six victims of the you know, crimes that have happened so far, a witness to the events that transpired at this church appears. Mobius interrogates the child, asking who killed everyone there, with the kid simply pointing at a stained glass to 
depiction of the devil on a wall. The kid also then shows Mobius a pack of gum that was given by the assailant, a pack of kablooey gum to be exact. Before they officially close up this timeline, someone from the TVA shows up with a file on their most recent capture of Loki and hands it to him. Yeah, those time reset doohickeys definitely feel important here. Um, when they first showed that stained glass window, I was like, oh shit, is this where fucking Mephisto is going <laughs> to pop up? But we later on figure out that it's going to be a variant of Loki. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, at this point, I'm just over Mephisto, even though we've never even seen him in the <laughs> MCU. Uh-huh. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, and then uh, once again, the Nexus was mentioned, which is something that was referenced in WandaVision, uh, you know, with Scarlet Witch being an actual like Nexus being. So, I mean, they're connecting all the dots here. Back at the TVA, Loki is brought before Judge Ravana Renslayer to plead his case for not being responsible for the branching timeline. This goes just about as well as you would expect, with Loki questioning the judge and attempting to use his abilities only to again find out just how hopeless he may be here. Before being taken away to most likely be evaporated from time, Mobius stands up and approaches the judge with a proposition to use Loki to help him track down whoever has been killing the TVA agents. So in the comic books, uh, Ravana is actually like a love interest of Kang the Conqueror, who we know is going to be showing up in the next Ant-Man film, uh, played by Jonathan Majors. So I think that's a nice little like nugget. I'm wondering if that's going to actually like play out in some way. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, and then, yeah, you got Mobius saving, you know, Loki. But, you know, who better to hunt Loki than Loki, right? Uh, I don't know why, but when I going back to the Kablooey gum, I thought for some reason that was tied to Kang. It, like, just I don't know if it was just the color or what. It looks kind of futuristic, right? Yeah. So maybe. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about Kang in a little bit. Loki now in Mobius's custody gets a look at the world that the TVA live in and not fully being able to comprehend what he is even seeing in this kind of like vast landscape of future and past colliding in all its architecture and technology. Inside Mobius's office, the two have a conversation or kind of mental sparring over what makes Loki tip. In this scene, Mobius dives into Loki's past, giving us moments we have seen and one that we haven't with Loki committing a real life plane jacking as the infamous D.B. Cooper that disappeared nearly 50 years ago. Throughout this, Mobius questions why Loki acts the way he does. Why does he wish to rule over everyone? And does he actually enjoy hurting people? Ultimately, these questions kind of poke holes in all of Loki's logic. While in the meantime, Loki is just kind of struggling with the idea of not being in control of his own destiny after learning about the timekeepers. The moment really escalates when Mobius starts showing him his future and how Loki caused the murder of his adopted mother Frigga. Mobius, to Loki's dismay, explains that his only purpose was to cause pain and death to help inspire others to become their personal best, alluding to how Loki's murder of Phil Coulson became the catalyst to the Avengers finally putting their heads together and teaming up. Once again, I'm just enjoying like how these Disney Plus series are like episodic therapy sessions for their main characters. I mean, we get super introspective with Loki and like what makes him tick here. I mean, here watching Loki, you know, watch his own life flash before his eyes, um, you know, in this scene and another scene that happens later on was just really moving, um, especially, you know, everything with his mom and him realizing that, you know, he was at fault. Um, just a really like emotional scene. No, I will say this. I think Hilson had a like 
Yo, at first, when the first when we first got those moments where he's going through the actual processing and stuff like that, I wasn't getting that vibe of, you know, 2012 Loki. You know, I didn't feel like he was fighting it enough. But once we got to this scene where, you know, he's, you know, trying to defend himself and explain everything um, from his point of view as, you know, Loki trying to take over the world, this felt just like that character. And then we also felt like he was slowly turning into the more of the Loki we know because he's trying to cope with all of this information that he's dealing with. It, it, I thought Hilston did a fantastic job during this scene and the later scene that we will be getting to. Right as it seems like Mobius is really getting to Loki, Hunter B-15 interrupts, stating they're having another situation that needs his attention. B-15, angered by Mobius spending time with Loki, explains that another unit has been taken down by the person Mobius is investigating. However, while they are outside the office, Loki makes a daring escape from the room, having gotten the controller for his collar off of Mobius. I mean, he's the god of mischief, so of course, like, he somehow still manages to escape even, like, the most impossible situation, because that's what Loki does. He escapes. Had to have been that handshake. I was trying to figure out where, when he did it uh -huh. and going through it again. Right? It had to have been the handshake. But, I mean, how many situations <laughs> like this have we seen, like, throughout the last, you know, uh -huh. decade or so, like, Loki get himself out of, so... I wasn't surprised at all by this. During this time, a hunt for Loki begins as he still can't find a way out of the TVA. Loki quickly goes after the Tesseract that was earlier confiscated by a receptionist up front, only to find that multiple Infinity Stones are just being treated as paperweights by those who work here at the TVA. Loki comes to the realization that he is powerless in comparison to those who control the timeline. How insane is it that they have a drawer full of Infinity Stones, like after everything we went through over the last, you know, what, you know, uh -huh. 20 some films. <laughs> they just have a drawer sitting there, like a junk drawer. Uh, but yeah, it just shows you like what kind of power we're really dealing with here. But I still wouldn't be surprised if Loki didn't swipe like a pocket full of them before he left because, I mean, he's Loki and you never know, right? I mean, once he's out of there, he should be able to use those powers either right. way. I, I'd still take a pocket full. Yeah, right? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Still running from B-15, Loki returns himself to Mobius' office where he uses Mobius' computer to look into his own future, seeing not only the passing of Frida, but the passing of Odin and then himself in Infinity War by the hands of Thanos. In a confrontation with B-15, Loki gets his collar off and puts it on her, only to then begin transporting B-15 back and forth through time. After this, Mobius returns to his office to find Loki in a moment of self-reflection, as he proclaims that he does not enjoy hurting people, and that he actually does it as a way to hide behind fear and gain control of others. Once again, the heartbreak that comes over Loki's face as he watches his life like play out in front of him. Um, you you could kind of see him though like once he sees like you know the moments with thor and everything like that like the sense of pride almost um mm -hmm. you know i mean just a wonderful performance by tom hiddleston so like knowing what he knows at this point do you see any scenario where loki would go back to this timeline and let these events play out i think he would have to work around it if he wants to because I, I feel like he will come out of this slightly a better person <laughs> at some point, but I mean, we, he still wants to be. We king. do know <laughs> eventually he does, you know, become a better uh -huh. person and has a little bit of a redemption arc. Um, but at the same time, just knowing Loki, I don't see him not trying to work an angle to, you know, fix things and like save his mother and, you know, somehow come out like on top. Um, mm -hmm. 
because like does he really go back like you know all the events that we see after the avengers is he like operating with a knowledge of everything that's about to happen and he just has to let them play out I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think that if he does survive all this, like he, you know, gets out of this in the end, maybe he will, you know, pop up after Infinity War or something or like that. Or do you think he like gets just like they reset him and then that's how he goes through. Like he has no memory of the events of the mm-hmm. series. Yeah, because uh, I think that they would do that um, if they wanted to just make it a clean cut. Like, hey, we're just we're going to reset you. It's, it's over. I mean, if you, you know? think about it, Mobius talks about how Loki is really just a supporting player in this story and like his role is to like better these other characters you know so they can take Mm -hmm. a stand and do what's needed you know in this timeline um so they can better themselves and become the heroes that they need to be to like save this timeline so i mean i don't know maybe he realizes that role is important and i mean how like noble would it be if loki was going through you know that series of events with uh-huh. that knowledge that you know you know he's doing what's right regardless of you know him having to like you know choose to lose his mother and you know see these awful things happen you know like his, the passing of his father right that that'd be too depressing for me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see i'm still saying he fucks mm-hmm. up the timeline and that's oh that's, yeah that's how we you know get into the events of the next couple phases it's all loki's fault right if anything he's the first screw that really loosens up right uh, that's how it works with the infinity saga right yeah mobius gives loki a proposition to help him hunt down another time variance this is where it's unveiled that the one killing all these agents has been another version of loki all along we're then transported to 1858 oklahoma to what we're supposed to believe is a hooded loki taking out another squad of agents and collecting their reset charge so yeah and during the sequence we do see them come across like some kind of like i don't know like time weapon or sphere or something that they do mention is from the 31st century which feels like a direct tie to King the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're laying out those like breadcrumbs now for us. So I don't know if that's, you know, just trying to set up his appearance in, you know, Ant-Man or if we're going to see him here in this series. And man, this like variant of Loki is like taking no prisoners. I mean, he, they just straight up torch those agents. Um, yeah. My guess, this might be like the introduction to Lady Loki. She's been rumored to be part of the series for a while now. We're also supposed to get like uh, appearance by Kid Loki, which makes sense with all the different variants and everything like that. Um, hmm. And Kid Loki has ties with the Young Avengers, at least in the comics. And we know they're kind of setting up a Young Avengers, so maybe we somehow, yes. you know, get a team up with Team Loki. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but this might have been our introduction to Lady Loki. Uh, you know, as far as her motives, I have no clue at this point. Up until they mentioned that it was Loki, I was definitely like, is this just Kang running around? Mm-hmm. But, you know, as soon as they said that, I was like, OK, it's it's either Lady Loki or it's Kid Loki, I, especially with them, as you said, doing all the Young Avengers stuff. I totally see that. I don't know if Kid Loki would be murdering people well, right off the bat. I don't bat. think he this seems is like he... Kid Loki because, I mean, we do no, see yeah. the figure like cloaked and they're 
They're mm-hmm. full-sized, so I, I don't think we're getting Kid Loki just yet. But they are supposed to pop up, so I wouldn't be surprised, you know. And as we know, Loki is a slippery bastard. I'm sure every version of him is. So uh-huh. <laughs> I could definitely see, you know, Kid Loki, you know, slipping past, like, the TVA and, you know, joining the MCU. There was a, like, little thing on his sheet that said 2099. So people started thinking, what if it's, you know, the 2099 version That's like some of kind of, like... Weird, it's like a monster yeah, demon yeah. version. <laughs> I can't imagine them going that deep. I mean, mm. but whatever. I'm bring it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably just a nod to like the 2099, like you know, uh, comics back in the day. I can't imagine uh-huh. them going with that version of Loki. But who knows? Maybe. <laughs> How disappointed are you going to be if it's just like another version of Hillston? It's not anything changed. It's just maybe she grew up in a different universe. That was all. Pretty disappointing, man. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the creative minds in Marvel not taking the opportunity uh-huh. to introduce, like, all these different great versions of Loki's, so. No, uh, I just feel like with this series, there's a lot of potential. Like, um, I know I definitely don't think that they will go the what-if angle with it, but it's just, like, I, I could see this being, you know, like a live-action what-if if they wanted to do, like, a different scenario each uh, episode. I mean, it's but... only a six-episode series. We might get glimpses mm-hmm. of, like, you know, what-if timeline but I feel like this series is going to probably be more of a like catalyst for the what if series the animated series that's happening in August Mm -hmm. this might actually be my favorite first episode of all the Disney plus like Marvel series so far I just thought this was a great start no it was very well structured and I think we got a very good glimpse at all the characters so far and I definitely have a lot of high hopes for Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston's performances going forward after this episode they're so good together you could definitely yes. see mm-hmm. like a buddy cop movie in their future, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Some studio executive is taking notes right now, I'm sure. Uh huh. The future tuner and hooch or whatever. <laughs> Wait, that's the one with the dog. <laughs> who's playing? Oh, yeah, is it? Who's playing the dog, Christian? There actually is a remake of Turner and Hooch right is now. There? Uh, <laughs> There's yeah. been a few, I think. Uh, it's coming out soon. <laughs> Turner and um, Starsky and Hutch. There That's we go. what I was trying okay. to do. <laughs> that makes more sense. All right, so make sure to join us next week as we break down the second episode of Loki. Ooh, time travel. I don't have a headache yet. Not yet, but it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't think too hard about everything that's going on. Uh, we can always just throw a reset grenade, right? <laughs> I need one of those. Today's podcast is presented by Pago. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster... Let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerds sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. All right, Christian, this past week, we saw the conjuring. The devil made me do it. Warning spoiler alert. Spoilers for The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. The court 
accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. You okay there? Jesus. I think I hurt someone. This time, the Warrens investigate a murder that may be linked to a demonic possession. This was produced by James Wan and directed by Michael Chavez. And it stars Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. So I'm a big fan of the Conjuring films and maybe some of their spinoffs, but man, what James Wan created with those first two films can't be overstated. I mean, he brought traditional classic horror to a modern audience. I mean, yes, it's amped up and it's with his own signature style, but he took things back to its roots and he relied on classic elements like, you know, storytelling, characters, and building suspense instead of just hollow jump scares every couple of minutes, which was definitely the fad at the time. I mean, the Warrens and their adventures as real life ghost hunters are just the perfect characters to build a horror universe around and give us real protagonists that like we care about. So the question is, did the third entry without Juan behind the lens, mind you, live up to those first two classic films? And unfortunately for me, in my opinion, it comes really close, but it just misses the mark. While The Devil Made Me Do It is an absolutely decent and entertaining horror film that has some memorable moments here or there, it just doesn't rise to the same level as the previous films. The performances are strong, I mean, don't get me wrong, of course, with like Patrick Wilson and Viera Farmiga as the heart and soul of the franchise, you'd really expect nothing less. And you know what? Honestly, Michael Chavez is fine behind the camera and does a good enough job, but unfortunately, I think think it's the story that itself that is just really not up to snuff this time out. And I understand, like, there's this need to, like, have these films revolve around a real-life case of the Warrens. But I think this is the first time in the franchise where it's to its, like, detriment. And that's due to two different elements. One, the story doesn't really revolve around a family and their home this time out, at least not for long. So at least for me, I just felt less invested. And then like, secondly, like I know we already said spoilers, but once again, spoilers, the main villain is actually like a human. Yes, a devil worshiper who's like cursing people with, you know, a demon promising their souls but still just a human. So the film spends a lot of time investigating this cult of one and like who this person is and what their motives are, which I'm still not quite sure about. And in turn, because of that, we spend less time building up the usual demons and ghosts with cool backstories and lore and amazing visuals that we've come accustomed to uh, in these films. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, the supernatural is at work here. It's just Juan's flair and gift for creating these unforgettable entities that just sorely missed in this film, which is weird because he produced it and he helped write the script, so I just don't get it. And look, I mean, this isn't a bad film by any means. The Warrens are amazing characters that you can really just, you know, naturally root for. And I love the way they open the film in the middle of this, like, intense exorcism that, you know, really just captures the fun and insanity of the first two movies. But I think the rest of the film never really quite, like, live up to the first 15 minutes. I mean, there's one morgue scene that's pretty fun, 
but that's really it. That's the closest we get. I just wish the story was more revolving around like the younger brother's possession instead of the aftermath of the curse with the sister's boyfriend. And I understand it's the third film, so they're trying to shake up the formula a bit. And that's what you do with the third film in a franchise. But for me, like a family dealing with a young child being tormented by a demon is a far scarier scenario. And I guess that's what it really boils down to. The third installment of The Conjuring just isn't as scary as its predecessors. And that's what horror fans and fans of the series have come to expect at this point. And it's what they deserve. So that's why I can only give this film a C plus. Well, my sentiments aren't too far off from yours, Damon, as you know, while I enjoyed the film for what it was, I felt like I was waiting for it to really wrench up the horror to that level we got from the first two films. The lack of playing up to the demon element in this film made the threats less frightening. I would have very much preferred um, we see this demon that was summoned more at play here. You know, when I look at the bones of this story, I see the opportunity to get more out of what we love from this franchise. I believe it could have been fun to, you know, maybe tell two stories to uncover the mystery of who had cursed the family. Like we could have watched, you know, the demon actually taking over the child over a course of several scenes while also bouncing back to the Warrens and miss their hunt for this Satanist. That way we would have gotten a little bit more of what we are like, you know, accustomed with this franchise and perhaps gotten a better sense of how terrifying this demon that the cultists had made a pact with really was. But really, that's just my own ideas. As to what we got from this film itself, this entry definitely, you know, does stand out from the spin-offs. But I have to agree, as a direct sequel to the original two, it just feels like this one wasn't as well put together. And Damon said it best, you know, it really was the story at the end of the day. And I'll even take it one step further with the script noticeably feeling a tad bit lazier altogether. While the performances were solid, it seemed like the very lines they had to give were a tad bit lacking in depth. And I only feel like I can say this is because, you know, I've now lived with these characters for multiple films. And this time around, they felt much more like simplified. It just really felt like the actors were having to drag this script across the finish line the best that they could. On a positive note, I think Chavez has really captured the look and feel of the past, you know, Conjuring films in general. I felt like this really fit in this universe, and I don't think that they did anything wrong on that level. It, it, was, it was a good looking film. All in all, I wasn't necessarily disappointed, but I feel like there was potential for a better story altogether. And for all those reasons, I'm going to give Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It a C+. Well, all right, it's time for some Bad Batch talk. That's right, this week we're discussing episode 6, Decommissioned. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. We need a diversion. What we need is a diversion. Is there an echo in here? Yes. What? I'm Echo. Really? Okay, Echo. We need a distraction. And he can help with that. All right, so in this week's episode, the Bad Batch take on a job from Sid uh, where they need to recover the head of a tactical droid from a factory where they're melting down droids left over from the war. Uh, the head is available because tactical droids possess knowledge on how to fight clones. So while on this mission, they run across probably my least favorite part of the final season of Clone Wars. Uh, that would be the Martez sisters. Mm. Um, I definitely let out a giant groan when I saw them, but honestly, they weren't that bad in the 
this episode, thank fucking God, because uh, it feels like we're definitely going to see them again somewhere down the line. Uh, but they happen to be on the same mission uh, and claim to be working for a group trying to take on the Empire, most likely some early incarnation of the Rebels. Uh, the Bad Batch and the Martez sisters race to get the head. Uh, meanwhile, during this melee, Wrecker ends up getting injured and we get kind of confirmation that his headaches are all due to the chip malfunctioning as we hear him whisper good soldiers follow orders just like his buddy crosshair um so i mean we've been speculating for a while that's probably what's going on with all his headaches so i mean this just kind of seals the deal but anyway at the end of the day the two sides team up uh, against a bunch of activated droids um once the dust settles the bad batch do have the head but hunter ends up giving the droid over to the sisters since they seem to be fighting for a noble cause taking down the empire back on the sister's ship uh we see Ahsoka's old droid, uh, R7, and they end up making a mysterious call to a figure they go out of the way not to show, uh, just to let them know that they've completed the mission. Uh, who this mysterious figure is, a lot of people are speculating that it could possibly be Ahsoka due to the obvious connections to the sisters and R7, but when they do refer to the caller, they do say he or him. So, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's Ahsoka. Others are saying Rex, since they did kind of make the point to also mention, you know, that they ran into clones. Um, it could definitely be someone less sexy, though, like Bail Organa, uh, since we're dealing with, like, the beginning of, like, you know, the Alliance. But I don't know. I mean, I'm also curious to know, like, who else wants this information on how to, you know, take down the clones? Exactly. Like, who else is trying to get that type of information? To take it, on the Empire, right? You would think it's for the Empire, right? To take them on or not, like... But I don't know, like, any other reason why you would want, you know, a droid's head like that. Mm-hmm. You know... What other value would that information have? I just I could imagine maybe someone like in the huts or in one of the cartels wanting to have that information. Maybe the Crimson for Dawn. Sure. Maybe the Crimson Dawn. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Filoni loves himself some Darth Maul, uh -huh. right? <laughs> so I'm just saying, man. Um, you know, and maybe there's a heel turn here. Maybe Trace and Rafa are working for you know. The Crimson Dawn. I think there's probably a lot more to your bail theory. I think yeah. you're more on the right track there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Especially after what he saw at, you know, at the actual Order 66, mm. where he watched, you know, a youngling get murdered to save him. Yeah. I could totally see him being like, okay, well, we need a way to stop well, the clones. And we know how the story ends. So, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know he's involved with the start of, like, the Alliance uh, and everything. So it only makes sense. But, I mean, if it is him, does that mean Rex and Ahsoka aren't too far behind? Uh, I'm assuming Rex is probably involved, especially after them bringing up the clones. Yeah, and now uh, that we know Wrecker is definitely, you know, having mm -hmm. issues with his chip, they're going to have to get to Rex sooner than later, because I feel like that's going to play out in, you know, probably the next couple episodes. Yeah, I imagine it has to be soon, especially with how much they showed it off, you know, happening in this episode. This week, yeah, exactly. Mm. So do you think that that's just a code word that they all have, or is it just 
like that was his memory and it was also you know triggering inside him at the same time the um the phrase being you know good soldiers follow orders do you think that's just like a trigger statement for them well since you know he's had headaches for the last couple episodes and it definitely feels like it's the chip that's malfunctioning especially with him repeating the same phrase that crosshair you know is repeating mm -hmm. i'm guessing that's just like the command that the chip is like programmed with so that's why both of them are kind of repeating it here I was also kind of curious what was making them not decide to just go with the Martez sisters at that point. After hearing that there's, you know, people out there fighting this, I thought they might, you know, find that interesting and maybe, you know, maybe investigate more. I'm sure we'll meet up with them again later on in the season, but I was definitely surprised that that you know there wasn't even at least like a talk about them joining up later on i think right now their main focus is keeping omega safe mm -hmm. you know because they're trying to get to like some like you know off the grid planet to keep her hidden mm -hmm. but i'm sure they'll end up meeting you know somewhere down the line again exactly to my dismay <laughs> they weren't that bad this episode honestly no, it, it did feel a little bit more the same for me, but it wasn't as obnoxious. Well, we didn't have like three episodes worth of that. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> don't don't speak too soon. I know, right? <laughs> Five episode finale. Yes, right. <sighs> but yeah, you're right. Uh, again, this was a it was a short. It felt like a short episode. Not where not a lot happened. I don't know if this just will feel better in, in the future. Just being a binge series, because like it, I, at this point, I'm, I'm, I am hoping for things to pick up a little bit more going forward. Uh, it, it just feels like we're getting we're getting little bits and pieces of the story as we're going. I know it's 16 episodes, but I, it's shorter than a normal Clone Wars series still at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's 16 episodes and they're, you know, what, 22 minutes long. Uh -huh. So, I mean, I think once again, it's just uh, the fact that it's weekly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I mean, when I got into Clone Wars, it was me binging like four seasons in a row. So, I, I don't know. I think we've been kind of spoiled at this point. <laughs> Hi, this is Stig from the Modern Escapism podcast. Do you need to get away from the real world for a few hours to find some time to just procrastinate and forget about everything else? If you do, then the Modern Escapism podcast can help you with just that. Our goal from the start has been to distract listeners from the doldrums of real life and provide that getaway that so many of us need from time to time. Each week, we discuss what media we've been consuming, from movies, games, TVs, books, music and more. There's always something new brought to the table in hope that we can recommend something for you to enjoy. After that, we have a main topic of discussion, which we have a lot of fun with, and we always encourage listener participation for these. We discuss all kinds of things, ranging from sequels, soundtracks, D&D, nostalgia, one-hit wonders, body art, trash TV, and more. The topics are limitless. So if you like chat about media and just general silliness, then why not join myself, Gadget, Oodles, Candy and Biggie each Thursday and subscribe to the Modern Escapism podcast. You'll find us on all podcast providers, Spotify and YouTube. Let us aid with your procrastination. All right, boys and girls, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah! E3 is here. Like we said at the top of the show, we are proud members of the press for this year's E3. Make sure that you're following along with us on our socials and our live streams that are going on on Twitch. 
because we're going to go over it all. We're covering all the big stories that come out of E3 this year. But before this Saturday's big press conferences start, we got a couple new trailers and stories ahead of the big gaming event. Starting off, looks like Microsoft is working with TV manufacturers around the globe to ship the Xbox experience with TVs and internet connected devices. This is again another big push from Microsoft with their cloud gaming service as it is Microsoft's goal to make Xbox streaming available to you on every single screen. Like we reported recently, Netflix has also started plans to get in on games as a service, but with Xbox attempting to be more readily available for consumers on every device, Xbox might not only be leading the charge in games as a service, but it's probably going to dominate it in the next few years. But of course, we will see what else Microsoft is bringing to the table this Sunday during their E3 conference. I don't have a problem with this. I think it's pretty cool that Xbox and you know Game Pass is trying to become as available as possible. This just seems, as I've been saying, the next logical step. So you know, for me, this is fine. Um, you know, it makes it more accessible to more people and hopefully brings games to more hands. IGN has also been doing their Summer of Gaming event just like they did last year due to the absence of E3. And just like last year, they didn't disappoint as we have gotten to see a ton of new trailers. Trailers like Elden Ring coming out of From Software, the studio best known for Dark Souls. Well, for you uninitiated out there, From Software has teamed up with Game of Thrones writer George R.R. Martin to create a new hellscape for you to die and die again in. I definitely was salivating while watching this one. Super high fantasy complete with Dark Souls gameplay. It was really all I needed to see. However, I don't know if this game will bring in anyone who isn't already a fan of Souls-like games. But you know what? Fuck those guys. From Software knows how to make a great, overwhelmingly hard experience, and this already has my money. Elden Ring comes out January 21st, 2022. Also at the IGN Expo, there were tons of different types of games. Like there was two new skating games like Ali Ali World and Skatebird, where uh, you play as a bird um, playing with those toy skateboards. We also saw updates to games like Doki Doki Literature Club and even got our first look at the World War Z Aftermath, which actually looked better than I expected it to. However, again, I found myself most interested by one of the shortest trailers of the day, which was our second look at gameplay from Sifu. This ultra stylized Kung Fu game just seemed to capture the feel of putting you in a one versus 10 fight, just like you would see in classic flicks or even shows like uh, Marvel's Dare Devil. I'm still super into this game's look and how it you know seems to feel you know I haven't gotten my hands on it just yet and you know with just the limited glimpses we've gotten I've I just find myself more and more interested in what this game will be bringing to the table but ultimately the IGN Expo is just a small glimpse into what we're getting throughout this next week as you know I'm about to get hit with more games news than I know what to do with um, you know especially as we get into the weekend's press conferences at E3 you know Saturday you can join me for some live reactions of UB forward and then Sunday we'll be going over the Xbox and Square Enix press conferences so make sure that you are following us on Twitch for all the gaming news plus gameplay we do. You know, we're still playing Witcher 3 and Mass Effect Legendary Edition, plus we just launched a new series in WWE 2K19 where we started our very own wrestling promotion. You can catch that every single Friday at 12 noon Central Time. But enough about simulated wrestling, let's talk some real wrestling. I used to say, I am the face of Latinos. But today I am saying I will be
the new face of all elite wrestling. All right, Christian, we don't have much time left this week since we had a jam-packed show. But briefly, let's talk some wrestling, man. Uh, this past right. Friday, we had Andrade debut on AEW, and the crowd went mild. Um, this, <laughs> it was definitely lackluster. Um, and this crowd kind of sucked anyway. They definitely weren't as energetic as the pay-per-view cl- crowd. And mm-hmm. they're much it was a much smaller crowd, so that has definitely something to do with it. But just in general, they just didn't seem to be reacting much, you know, to anything. Uh, but man, I just I wish they would have booked this differently. Um, he didn't come out to like any music from what I could tell, and who knows with AEW's production. Um, and I don't think there was any kind of like video or anything like that. So so Vicky hmm. Guerrero comes out, which I'm not thrilled about that pairing either. Uh, but, you know, she interrupts Mark Henry and Tony Schiavone in the ring. And they just kind of just like scatter off for no reason. Um, and then she makes this long introduction, you know, says his name. And I don't think, you know, since it wasn't just Andrade, I don't think it registered with the crowd at first. And then, you know, he just kind of comes out and I don't know, everyone kind of stands and looks and then they slowly start to, it was, (laughs) it just didn't come off very well. So not, not the kind of introduction a talent like Andrade really deserves. And I know they probably figured, okay, well, we'll get this on the show since we have so much going on in the pay-per-view. But I think I would have much rather had him like debut on the actual pay-per-view because that hmm. crowd, think of how that crowd would have reacted. They would have lost their fucking shit, oh, yeah. right? Even if it's uh, just like, you know, he pulls a Christian where he comes out, signs a contract, and then walks off the stage. I will say, like... This is probably the best I've ever heard him on the mic before. And I'm sure it's because he didn't have, you know, a group of 60 different writers words coming out of his fucking mouth and all that, like, you know, bland corporate WWE lingo, Um, you know, so it was just his it was just much more natural. So Mm -hmm. um, and I was impressed. I was like, oh, he can't fucking talk. Look at that. Uh, So I'm sure, you know, a giant weight is, you know, off his chest and he's happy to be finally free. Uh, you know, but we'll see. Like I said, I'm not happy with the pairing of him and Vicky Guerrero. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't think he needs it. I, I would have been okay with him just kind of being on his own to start off. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I didn't really get the pairing for them either. I, I think he can do it on his own. I think he's going to be a big star once they actually start showing him in matches and stuff like that. Um, you know, he's super talented. Um, you know, you, you, I heard, I don't know about you, but did you hear about all the rumors of him wanting like full creative over his like losses and wins now, and stuff like from that? From what I've gathered, um, so that report was a little that was kind of like during the early stages gotcha. of the negotiations, which I mean, it's fine, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and then they obviously came to some kind of compromise. He does not have like complete creative control over wins and losses. So, I mean, Tony Khan would be insane. I mean, for an yeah, old exactly. school wrestling fan, <laughs> that's just a nightmare. And that's what buried WCW uh-huh. at the end of the day. So I, I think Khan is smart enough. I mean, he'll have input, but I think every AEW wrestler has some kind of input at this point, mm-hmm. you know, with their storylines and everything like that. It just has to get like, you know, Tony's stamp of approval. 
So, uh, you know, and with a talent like Andrade, you're going to fucking, you know, bend a little. So I get it. I understand. Um, and I think, you know, he's going to be a major player for them. Uh, they've got a giant roster, though. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not sure where he's going to fit right off the bat. But I mean, sky's the limit. There's just so many different like possibilities and feuds that they can really like, you know, start off with that would seem new and fresh and we know that he's going to be challenging omega for that triple a title uh sometime in the summer so i'm sure they're going to probably play you know some of that's going to play out on the show i'm guessing yeah that would make sense i like if they do maybe like he tries to get the AEW title at the same time or something i I mean i don't see him winning the AEW title anytime soon it's way too early at this mm-hmm. point. So I just wish the presentation for him was a little stronger for his introduction. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like they could have done better. And, you know, I mean, obviously it's still early on, but I mean, this kind of felt like how they introduced Miro, you know, where it was just for me, it just it was a little lackluster. Uh-huh. But I'll be honest, like those Friday night dynamites, and I know they're preemptive and I know it's a difficult time slot, but it really feels like they've been phoning those in. I think it's a huge mistake on their part. I know they probably figure, oh, we don't want to give anything away too big since, you know, we don't have that many eyes on the product during this time. But I think it's just a huge mistake because, I mean, you're going to lose momentum that way. You want to keep your like audience engaged and hooked. Um, you know, once they get used to not watching you, you could lose people. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I just think it's a big mistake. They should book it just like they would book any Dynamite show, Um, you know, and just hope that people tune in and give people a reason to tune in Friday nights at, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever. Um, So, I don't know. I don't know. It it really has been like they're they're very much glorified like darks right now. That's what it feels like. Which is crazy. I mean, people are going to look up what happened on AEW and if they see that all these like big things are going on still on the show of course they're going to run back to watch it live the next week yes it's just uh, it doesn't make sense for them not to really give it our numbers are pretty big and that probably Uh makes up for like the low ratings but at the same time you know you want it to be you know can't miss tv because once they get into that groove of like oh i'll just dvr it or i'll just watch it later on that's what's going to end up happening on wednesday nights also so and they're returning to Wednesday sooner than later. So I don't know. I just think it's a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Speaking of big mistakes, holy <laughs> shit, the main event of Raw, <laughs> probably one of the worst main event segments of all time on Raw or SmackDown. Did you fucking catch this shit? No, so this is something I didn't catch because I, I, at this point, I just ignore Raw. Me too, but I actually went back to watch this. (laughs) I honestly have not watched a full Raw show in about two two months, I want to say. So, Mm. uh, it just, at this point, it's unbearable. And it's really just a fucking (laughs) rerun every fucking week. Uh Because even though you have this giant roster, you're still seeing the same fucking rematches over and over again it's just nauseating i don't know what the fuck they're doing uh but you you know talk about phoning it in uh but yeah no so Shayna baszler is terrified of this doll that alexa bliss has named i think lily am i right yeah lily right okay like mm-hmm. so you remember you know what almost a year ago how we were saying like the whole like fiend versus seth rollins program like pretty much ruined seth <laughs> Because they Uh had him in the corner cowering 
from Bray Wyatt in a fucking mask crying as he like crawls at him like your champion at the fucking time. Well, imagine doing that to Shayna Baszler, but it's not like Alexa Bliss, like an actual person. It's a fucking doll because Baszler doesn't seem to be scared of Bliss. <laughs> she shows up on her little like, I don't know, it's called like uh, Bliss's playground or Alexa's playground. Yeah. It's just it's just awful at this point. And no one knows where Bray is, but that's, you know, another story. But so yeah. she shows up on the playground. Uh, Alexa wants her to apologize to Lily. She, you know, laughs at it, says it's just a stupid doll, you know, apologizes to the doll, but apologizes uh, for it being a stupid doll. Alexa gets furious, tries to attack Shayna. Shayna, like, literally just, like, tosses her out of the fucking ring because she's Shayna Baszler and Alexa Bliss is, like, you know, 85 pounds. Um, and then, like, she curb stomps the fucking doll, basically. <laughs> okay. You know, showing no fear. But apparently that was all bullshit because some pyro goes off and the screens all start flashing, which is a trick that Bailey showed she could pull off just like last week in the Thunderdome. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, but this is enough to send fucking Shada running to the back of the locker room where apparently Lily has made everyone disappear. Shayna can't get out of the building for some reason all the doors are locked so she runs into like another room and starts to barricade the fucking door <laughs> okay mind you this would be like uh, if seth rollins was cowering from one of fucking like bray's puppets right this isn't even yeah. like uh-huh. alexa coming after her so <laughs> so she barricades the door you know, and she's in a uh, panic, trying to catch her breath. She looks in the mirror and she sees Lily in the mirror. And I kid you not, WWE goes on to copy one of the worst fucking segments in WCW history. A segment so bad, it's still talked about. The fucking Ultimate Warrior Hogan segment, where Hogan is seeing Ultimate Warrior in the mirror, yet the announcers don't see what Hogan's seeing, and Hogan's going crazy. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. If you have it, YouTube it, look it up. It's it's uh-huh. horrible. <laughs> it's awesome and horrible all at the same time. So they rip that off here, but it's with a fucking doll. Not the ultimate warrior, a doll, Christian. So Shayna sees the doll, looks back. The doll's not there. Then she looks back again in the mirror and the doll's there. So she ends up kicking the mirror and freaking out. And we cut to black. And that's how they ended the show. Yes. And Shayna Baszler's career. <laughs> Shayna Baszler's career ended when she left yeah, NXT. I just want to put that out there. Pretty much, but, uh, <laughs> she did get a fucking championship match at WrestleMania, right? Okay, and you remember yeah, that elimination but... chamber where she looked like a fucking monster and basically eliminated everyone? Well, yes, she's dead but... now. That woman is dead. <laughs> this trained killer is scared of a fucking doll, and not even a scary-looking doll, mind you. WWE hates me, Christian. they personally hate me Shayna Baszler was one wrestler I was like one of the NXT wrestlers I was probably most looking forward to like seeing Uh their transition into like the main roster and because I felt like it was something that they couldn't possibly fuck up and they still end up fucking it up somehow absolutely I think at this point honestly with the latest amount of like releases I think at this point They fired more NXT champions than they have on the roster at this moment, Hmm. like the main roster, at least. 
Yeah. Because you figure Andrade, and he was, I guess yeah. he was released, but, you know, uh, Alistair Black. I mean, they've let a lot of people go. Bo Dallas. I mean, he was a fucking NXT <laughs> champion at one time. He was massive. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's insane, Christian. I mean, don't forget Pac, right? I mean, he sat out. He's like, I, I know where this is going. So he just said, fuck it. Because <laughs> remember, they had him on 205 Live, and I think they wanted mm-hmm. him to do a, a job to uh, Enzo. And he's like, nope. <laughs> I'll just stay home. <laughs> yeah, I think out of those original, like, few champions they had I mean, the tag you know, we still have Finn Balor we have um, Kevin Owens and we have Sami Zayn I mean think about tag champs too FTR mm-hmm. the Ascension I know I'm forgetting others but I mean it's just fucking crazy we have no idea where the fuck Keith Lee is oh yeah right? <laughs> Keith Lee's missing yeah. it's fucked up <laughs> But you know what I'm scared of is that they built up Alexa Bliss right and they've pretty much given her the Fiend's gimmick. Are they just going to drop Bray Wyatt and just let her continue on? I have no idea. With this I gimmick have, at this point? I have point? no idea what's going on. Like, it makes no sense storyline-wise. He did pop up for a little bit, I believe, after WrestleMania and commented on, like, you know, uh, Alexa's turn. But then that was it. That's the last we saw of him. So I don't know if it's going to be, like, in her match against Shayna that he, you know, re-debuts. But you you can't keep on doing this to the guy. It's a lot of like stop mm-hmm. and start. You remember before that WrestleMania like match, he was off the screen for like a good two months after yeah. Randy burned him to a fucking crisp. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, what are we doing here? I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, raw is just unwatchable. I still am enjoying SmackDown for the most part. Um, it's very much the Roman Reigns show, but I mean, I, I like long form storytelling. So everything going on with him and the Usos, it's been working for the most part for me. So, I mean, and it's just, you know, a standard wrestling show. I mean, there's no fucking hocus pocus and smoke and mirrors. It's just a fucking wrestling show. And I can respect that. And I, I honestly, after Raw, I need that almost to kind of cleanse my palate. So um, there's a, a pay-per-view coming up. I have no idea who's going to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hell in the Cell. I think it, not next weekend. Oh, yeah. Two weeks. Fuck. Yeah, so I, I'm sure we'll do a review for it. it. It looks like it might we might get Rey Mysterio versus Roman Reigns. Um, okay, could be a fun match. I, I don't mind that. So he beat the shit out of Dominic this past uh, week. So um, it feels like Rey is probably gonna you know want to get his comeuppance. So uh, we'll see, and it'll just be kind of another chapter you know in the Uso storyline. But that's fine. Like I said, I'm enjoying that. You know, and it looks like the big rumor right now for SummerSlam is Roman's gonna end up facing off against John Cena. Okay, against Cena. Yes. So that that's the rumor right now. So and they they did announce that that's going to be in Vegas, and it's actually going to be on a Saturday night. It's at a one day event, you no know, two nights, like we we're kind of you know guessing it might be. Um, but yeah, that's going to be Vegas and packed house. So it's okay. a new stadium I mean, that's out there. So um, it, it's supposed to be huge. Well, I mean, Roman's still going oh, over. So. Absolutely. Against <laughs> Cena. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is going to be payback for that feud that he had with Cena back in the day. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when he when he was supposed to win. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he did. Did he win that feud? Did, but Cena like buried he? him on the mic. Like it was ugly. 
uh-huh. you know, they kind of went back and forth on the mic and well, it just, the lines that they were giving Roman and then he's tripping up on yeah. them at the same time. It just didn't work and out. Cena was just killing them, you know, so uh-huh. this, this definitely feels like, you know, payback for that. So it's going to be Cena putting him over and everything um, as a character, which makes sense. Did, but do we ever get an explanation of how Cena is still around? <laughs> well, they should After do something where fiend. like Bray like know, summons right? him from the, you know, the playhouse. <laughs> No, uh-huh. that would be nice to see like Bray kind of like open up a closet or something like that and Cena pops up. I would like that. That's good continuity, Christian. <laughs> They're not going to do that. No, absolutely not. He'll just show up. <laughs> okay, guys, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I've just made a couple movies and I'm a little bit richer. Nah, right. I have bowed down to other countries' governments and we're good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's it for wrestling. Right? Yep, that's it for wrestling. <laughs> and the show. <laughs> and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, join us as we break down the second episode of Loki. I will be also talking the latest episode of The Bad Batch, and we'll be reviewing NXT TakeOver in your house. That's right. And like I said, at the start of the show, we're going to be talking all the things that went down at E3 this weekend. Definitely join us live during the weekend streams. But yeah, tune in as we bring you all the news live from the event. Well, my name's Christian. My name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you. Then nobody ever. And you feel this way about Lee. What? Fuck no. Talking about Christine, man. No shit or ever came between me and Christine.